I'm one of those guys, I want to do everything. I want to be a missionary and a pastor and an evangelist and write books and do missions. And on the mission field, I want to reach the poor and reach the uh, orphans. And uh, I want to do all of it. But a number of years ago, God laid on my heart, if you train the man of God, he'll get it all done. Uh, He'll reach the slums. He'll reach the orphans. He'll feed the hungry. He'll take care of the poor. He'll build buildings. He'll do what has to be done. Uh, for the glory of God, to reach His people. And so our passion is the training of those men. And uh, you pray for them because they face a lot of difficulty and a lot of challenges in their work. Uh, you know, you saw the guy, Amansi, that, that reaches the slums. Every time I go to India, <clears throat> I visit with Mansi and preach in the slums. And several years ago, uh, I asked him, I said, Mansi, how are you going to break this uh, cycle of poverty, the caste system? Uh, these guys that you see in the slums, <clears throat> they're what we call the untouchables. They're the dollars. And that, that cycle of poverty in that caste system just continues. I said, how, how are we going to break this cycle of poverty? He said, the answer is simple. We must get the children education so they can get a job and make money. I said, well, let's build a building and have a Christian school. He said, no, the government would shut it down. I said, well, Monsi, what can we do? He said, we have to get them into the government school, and then we have to uh, give them the Bible training as well as that, and that'll, uh, that'll break this cycle of poverty. Uh, I said, but Monsi, well, uh, how can we do that? He said, oh, Dr. Ron, it's very expensive. I'm not sure we can do that. It's very, very expensive. We have to get them a uniform and a backpack and their books and pay their tuition and get them to school. He said, it's very expensive. I I don't think we can do that. I said, how expensive for one child to go to school for a year? Oh, Dr. Ron, it's very expensive. I don't think we can do it. I said, Monsi, one child, one year, backpack, uniform, Books, school, what does it cost? He said, oh, Dr. Ron, it cost $150. I said, $150? You mean for a month? He said, no, no, for the year. I said, I can't believe that. Now we are sending 100 of those children to school. And on their way home every day, they stop by and get taught the Bible. But there's hundreds more waiting for somebody to send them to school. Uh, You know, just little money that we use as pocket change every day makes a difference in the lives of those people and the training of those men. So now you know, so you can pray for them and pray for us. God, several years ago, gave us a vision. We called it the 2020 vision. That by the year 2020, we would have 20,000 new church starts and 2 million new believers. And I talked to the men last night about it. That's impossible. That can't be done. That's what I thought then, several years ago. But now, if we have seven institutes this year, which we're going to have, next year, eight, the next year, nine, and the next year, ten, we will reach that goal of two million new believers and 20,000 new church starts. And I I give the Lord praise today. That's an impossible thing that God is doing. 
But this year we've got to raise a million dollars. Probably next year more than that. Uh, but that's no big deal for God. Amen? That's no big deal for God. And He's continued to meet all the needs and He will continue to meet all the needs. Thank you for being a missions church. Thank you for praying for us and for these wonderful men of God. And thank you for your encouragement and uh, your prayers and your support. Well, it's time to preach. (laughs) I want to talk about something of interest to all of us today. Uh, I want to talk about change. Now, that's a subject I I really don't like. But I want to talk to you about change. Our our president that's going out in a few days. (laughs) Hallelujah. That's not, a, that's not a political statement. God's, God's not a Republican or a Democrat. Amen. And when Jesus comes back, he won't be riding a donkey or an elephant. I promise you that. Uh, but that president promised us change, didn't he? Boy, have we had some change. Uh, this new president has promised us change. And looks like we're going to have some more change. Uh, I hope it's good change. Amen? So I'm not talking about Republicans or Democrats. I'm not talking about Barack Obama or Donald Trump. I'm talking about change. Every politician seems to offer us change. Am I right? Uh, Not all politicians do what they say. There was a Virginia politician who said on this particular issue, some of my friends feel this way, and some of my friends feel this way. Personally, I'm for my friends. (laughs) Well, that's a political statement. Politicians offer us change. And uh, I'm not sure about you, but change is not always welcome for uh, folks my age and and the the older crowd. But I I think we need change, don't you? I believe sometimes we need change in our churches, and definitely we need change in our, our nation. The Spanish philosopher Santiana said, those who don't learn from history are destined to repeat it. Even our Constitution in America seems to be up for change. If you observed carefully, you'll see that our Supreme Court doesn't always go by the Constitution. Sometimes they make decisions that change the Constitution. Am I right? Uh, even... Uh, I've noticed some of you have changed. I come every now and then to the church, and I, I, I look out at your faces, and some of you have changed. Uh, my preaching changes from time to time. I have a, uh, my wife, uh, she's usually with me, but not now. She has foot surgery. My wife uh, edits my sermon. I mean, she reads them, and uh, if she finds something she doesn't like, she takes it out. In fact, she edited this sermon. So in conclusion, (laughs) but everything seems to be subject to change these days. Even the Solomon and the Bible agreed with that. Uh, One of the books that we don't read very much is the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9 says, That which has been... Do you have your Bibles? Can you find Ecclesiastes? Uh, 
Look it up. That's on page 583. Uh, but let, let's stand. I'm going to give you two verses. Let's stand out of respect for the Word of God. The, the, the wise Solomon said, That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts today on this vital, strategic, important subject we'll talk about for the next few minutes. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think all of you may be seated. I think all of us uh, will agree that we're in a, a changing world, a changing culture, and that Older people like me don't always like change. I was a pastor for 36 years, and I thought many times that older crowd is giving me fits because they don't want anything to change. Now I'm on their side. Uh, my age group just uh, has, a, has a problem with change. I, uh, I was asked my doctor uh, after an... Uh, evaluation recently, how am I doing? Uh, he said, well, you're fine for a guy your age. <laughs> and I've noticed this. Uh, used to, I was, uh, th there's some who said I was good looking. Now, everybody says I'm looking good. And, and even then, even then, they're lying. As a, <laughs> I, I look in the mirror every morning. I like what Woodrow Wilson, one of our former presidents, said. He said, I know how ugly I are. I know my face ain't no star, but I don't mind it. I'm behind it. It's the folks in front that get the jar. <laughs> I, uh, I love the story of the, of the uh, lady. She was looking in the mirror, and her husband was there with her uh, in the bedroom, and, and, and they were, she was looking in the mirror, and she said, Just look at me. Just look at me. I've got these bags under my eyes. I've got this turkey neck. I've got this, uh, these wrinkles. Uh, I've got this gray hair. Just, just look at me. And finally, you know, he was a wise husband. He didn't have much to say. And finally, she said, don't you have anything good to say about my appearance and my physical condition? He said, yeah, you, you got good eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> That may, have been, that may have been the same couple. The guy was looking in the mirror and flexing his muscles. And he said, what, what, what do you think is the, is the, is the strongest part of, my, of me, uh, my body or my brain? He said, neither, your imagination. <laughs> well, age comes to all of us. Bunions, bumps, bifocals, bulges. Bursitis, bladder problems, bad memory, and I can't remember what else. <laughs> but it, it comes to all of us. Uh, I uh, love the story also of the, the, the guy that was in the retirement center. and This woman kept staring at him every day, and he finally got uncomfortable with that, and he went over to her and 
He said, why do you stare at me every day? She said, you look a lot like my third husband. He said, good night. How many times have you been married? She said, twice. <laughs> now, that's age with a positive attitude. And, and I, I, I think we need a positive attitude when we get this age. I, uh, now, the only place, ladies, you'll love this, uh, the only place that age, we don't age and we don't change is heaven. Uh, my friend Angel Martinez, who's with the Lord now, was his pastor for several years. He was the most brilliant Southern Baptist evangelist ever. He memorized all the New Testament and most of the Old Testament. Uh, he was a brilliant, brilliant man, a Mexican evangelist, Angel Martinez. And Brother Angel always said when he preached on heaven that in heaven we're going to be 33 years old forever. Now think about that, ladies. You won't ever have to lie about your age again. Well, they asked one guy, I said, how old is your wife? He said, she was born in the year of our Lord only knows when. <laughs> well, in heaven, 33 years old forever. Now, you may not like that idea, but I like that idea. Uh, now, the reason he said that was when Jesus went, to, went back to the Father after his crucifixion, and his resurrection and his ascension. He was about 33 years old. And First John and Philippians tell us in heaven we're going to be like our Lord. And so Angel thought 33 years old forever. Not a bad idea. 33 years old is old enough to have good sense and young enough to still use it. So there's a good age. Well, I don't know about all that, but I do know this. People in my age category are not crazy about change. But now today, I want to give you just quickly, I hope you'll write them down. I think they're worth writing down. I want to give you very quickly uh, seven things that never change. Seven things that will never change. It's important for you to know these seven things. Now, change is theologically necessary. Uh, Matthew 18, 13, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you change. That word indicates repentance, changing the direction of our life. And so change is necessary theologically and spiritually in our life. So here are seven things that never change. Are you ready? Number one, the authority of God's Word will never change. The authority of God's Word will never change. Now, the Constitution may change. Uh, your, uh, uh, your documents, your contracts may change. But the Word of God, the authority of God's Word will never change. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that's the word theopneustos. It means God breathed. And the authoritative word of God is necessary for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, Oprah and Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz and even T.D. Jakes will fail you. But the Word of God will never fail you. Now, I can be inspired 
but I could never be inspired like men like Paul and Moses and uh, David and, uh, and those who wrote the Scripture. See, God breathed it into them. God gave the Word and they wrote it down. It's not the word of Moses. It's not the word of Paul. It's not the word of Peter. It's the word of God. Because it is Theopneustos. And today, that canon is closed. You can't be inspired and uh, anointed like they were. And I cannot. We have the authoritative, closed canon, the word of God. And it will never change. There's a little word I'd like you to... A little verse I'd like you to, to make one of your life verses. Write it down. It's Proverbs 23, 23. Proverbs 23, 23, which says, Buy the truth and do not sell it. Buy the truth and do not sell it. May yours be a life and yours be a family and yours be a church that buys the truth and does not sell it, that builds everything on the authority of the Word of God. Number two, the Lordship of Jesus will never change. In Matthew 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say I am? They said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I want to tell you the lordship of Jesus will never change. Peter was right on when he proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I want to say to you, you don't need to fear the future. Because it doesn't matter who is president. Jesus is king, and he's in charge. He's in control, and he's going to meet every need and take care of every life that knows him. You can trust him. The lordship of Jesus will never change, just like the authority of the word of God will never change. I want you to take your Bible, hold it up high, and repeat after me. This is my Bible. The written word about the living word, Jesus. It is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. It is superior to the opinions of men. It is the strategy for building the church. It is my sword against the enemy. It is seed that will bear fruit. It is revealing signs of Jesus' return. It points me to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It tells me that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died for me, arose on Easter, ascended to the Father, and is coming again. Let God be true and every man a liar. The authority of the Word of God and the Lordship of Jesus will never change. Number three, the power of prayer 
will never change. A guy named Dan Millman wrote a book called The Way of the Powerful Warrior, and he said life has three rules, paradox, humor, and change. He said paradox, life is a mystery. Don't waste your time trying to figure it out. Humor, keep a sense of humor about yourself. And change, know that nothing ever stays the same. He's wrong. Some things stay the same. And the power of prayer stays the same. When I was diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer, I did several things. One is I took my life verse from Psalm 118, 17. Uh, secondly, I had a uh, network of prayer started all over the world. And uh, thirdly, I found the best doctor for my kind of cancer that I could find. And uh, fourthly, I called for my pastor and the leaders of my church to anoint me with oil and pray over me just like the Scripture says to do. And prayer saved my life. Prayer brought healing to me. And I, I'm, I'm convinced today, as I've always been, that the power of prayer will never change. There's nothing greater a church can do. There's nothing greater a child of God can do than to exercise the power of prayer that will never change. James chapter 5 says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Listen. Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up if they've sinned. They'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The power of prayer never changes. Number four, the call to evangelism never changes. Now, I want you to hear me carefully. Church, listen. Hear me, church. Hear me, church. I was a pastor for 36 years. I've been doing this now for 22 years. Hear me carefully. There's just one will of God for the church. Not two, not three, but one. How many? One will of God for the church. And that one will of God for the church is to bring in the harvest. Remember when Jesus led that woman at the well to drink the water of life? And uh, as... Uh, as she was leaving to go back to tell those, those men she'd been living with about Jesus, the disciples showed up. They'd been in the sidecar to get lunch. And they said, Master, take and eat. And Jesus said, I'm not hungry. My food is to do the will, singular, of him that sent me. The one will of God for this church is to bring in the heart whether it's on the mission field in Haiti or Nicaragua or India. By the way, let me just say this. I, I'm praying that God will work it out for your pastor and Amy to go with us in August, late August, to India. I need him as a conference preacher for a week in Goa and a week in Siliguri, and they're begging us to bring someone to have women's conferences. And I don't know of anybody better for that than your pastor's wife. I'm praying God will work it out for them to go. Uh, hope that makes them uncomfortable and they'll go. But uh, let's listen carefully. 
It's important that you know nothing else rates with the call of God to bring in the harvest. Now you've got two, you've got two functions. One of them, one of them is evangelism, soul winning, winning people to Jesus. When I was pastor in New Orleans, I pastored there for 15 years. Uh, our, I think I've told you this story, but I love the story. It's my sermon, so I'll tell it again. Uh, this, uh, this, one of the guys that got uh, saved in our church was Herman Gauthier, a little Cajun guy. And our strategy was the, the Sunday after they got saved, we baptized them, and they went into a class to learn how to witness because the, pe- the people that's got the most lost friends are new Christians, and they need to know how to witness right away. And so the next Sunday after Herman got saved, the Sunday of his baptism, he came running up and said, Preacher, I witnessed at my job. And I thought to myself, this can't be good. I've not, we've not taught him how to do it. And so uh, I said, well, Herman, tell me about it. He said, I went to work Monday, and I told this old boy I worked with, and I got saved. I said, Herman, what do you do? He laughed at me. I said, Herman, uh, what would you do? I told him he's going to bust hell wide open. I said, Herman, what would he do? He cussed me out. I said, Herman, what would you do? I got out my cigarette lighter. I burned his hand. I said, you think that's hot, boy? Hell is hotter than that, son. I said, oh, no, Herman, that's not how we do it. We, we've, got, we've got the Roman road. We've got four spiritual laws. We've got steps to peace with God. That's not how we do it, Herman. I'm going to teach you tonight how we do it. He said, but preacher, he's here. <laughs> he got saved. <laughs> he wants to get baptized with me tonight. <laughs> I said, Herman, give me one of them cigarette lighters. <laughs> See, the reason I tell you that story is I like the way Herman did it better than the way most of you never do it. Ouch. Right? I was, I was in Australia oh, about two years ago, and the hotel we stayed at uh, was on George Street in Sydney, and it reminded me of a story of a guy named Francis Dixon who was pastor in England. And he, uh, somebody in his church gave a testimony. Their testimony was they were down on George Street in Sydney. And a little white-haired man came up to them and said, Sir, are you a Christian, sir? If you're a Christian, sir, you'll go to heaven when you die. If you're not, you'll go to hell when you die. Toodaloo. <laughs> and he said, I couldn't get away from that. And he said, I got saved. And then another guy in that same church in England stood and gave that same testimony. Uh, Francis Dixon came to a military base to, to, to share a testimony in, uh, in America. Heard the same thing. He was at a Keswick conference in England. Heard the same testimony. He said, i got to meet this guy. Went to Sydney, went to George Street, couldn't find him. Asked a merchant. And they said, oh, that's Mr. Jenner. Uh, we hadn't seen him around here in a while, but he was doing that. He was down here on the street for about over 30 years. And uh, if you if you want to look it up, look it up. Uh, look it up, Mr. Jenner, uh, on, your, on your web, on on uh, on George Street in Sydney. It's in there. And so they, they, they did some research, and they found out that Mr. Jenner had gotten sick, and he couldn't leave his house. And they went to his house, 
And they found him on his, on his deathbed, what became his deathbed. And they began to tell him about all these testimonies. And he said, for more than 30 years, I did that on George Street. And I've never had anybody ever tell me about getting saved. And he wept, finally knowing that his faithful witness had brought people to Jesus. I want to say to you, please hear me, that if Herman Goche can do it his weird way, and if, and by the way, he's a pastor now, doing it every day, and if, if Mr. Jenner can do it the way he did it, you can do it. You can, God can use your unique personality, your unique life to use you to bring others to Jesus Christ. He made you like you are to do it your unique way to bring lost people because the one will of God for the church is to bring in the harvest. Well, I just want to give you these others, and that's about all I have time to do. Uh, the call to evangelism never changes. The great commandment will never change. And what is the great commandment? It's in Matthew 22, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and your entire mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I'm sad to tell you this, but even though Jesus said, even though Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Even though Jesus said that, even though this is the great commandment to the church, most of our churches are better known for their battles than they are for their baptisms. Better known for fussing and fighting and feuding and splitting than they are for reaching out with a togetherness and a unity to reach the lost world for Jesus Christ. Help me out. Am I right? I know I'm right. I've been doing this a long time. And that breaks my heart. And how it must break the heart of God. I, I know I, when I pastored in uh, New Orleans, we had, ever, we, we, we had at least 25 different nationalities in our church, red and yellow, black and white, Every Sunday, people came to Christ from all back, all racial backgrounds and all political backgrounds, and all that. I mean, it was it was kind of like heaven. Heaven's like that. Heaven's like that. Heaven's not just a bunch of uh, uh, white Democrats or white Republicans. Heaven is red, yellow, black, and white. Republican, Democrat, Independent. Heaven's like that. And the more you're like that as a church, the more you like heaven. <laughs> I, love, I love the story. I've noticed uh, 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 several African-Americans here. I'm, my son-in-law is African-American, and uh, he's a pastor in New Orleans, tremendous guy, a godly man, and Claude. The uh, problem is he's a, he's a Dallas Cowboy fan. That's about the biggest problem I know but uh, I, I love the story of the two preachers <laughs> that were argued for years <laughs> whether God was black or white. I mean, they, they were just adamant. One said God's white. No, no way, no, that God's black. And, and they argued for years whether God was black or white. Finally, both of them died and went to heaven. And, you know, you always check it with St. Peter. <laughs> so they, uh, they said, we, we, we've, been, we've been discussing this for years. Is God black or white? Don't worry about it. I'll just get God to come over here, and, and you'll know for sure. So he said, I'll just call on God to come over here. 
God came over and said, When is this, Senor? <laughs> hey, folks, <clears throat> it's time for us to get over our differences, whether it's political or racial or denominational. It's time that we be, that we be children of God, first of all. And as a church, loving our neighbor and loving one another and letting the community see and the world see, that's a bunch of people that love Jesus, love the Bible, and love one another. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. The great commandments never change. And it never will. All right, let me give you these other two and we'll be done. All right, number six. The seriousness of sin and the lostness of humanity will never change. The seriousness of sin and the lostness of humanity will never change. Can I be real transparent with you right now? And I'm going to quickly close. I'm going to be real transparent. Let me tell you what breaks my heart. What breaks my heart as an evangelist. I was one of those that went down the aisle and the pastor said, my mama told me I needed to do it. My friends were doing it. And the pastor said, we're so happy that Ronnie has come down front. Have a seat, Ronnie. And uh, Ronnie, fill out the card. And we're going to, I want everybody to come by and shake Ronnie's hand. He came down front. Aren't you proud of him? He came down front. And I, the, next, the next Sunday, I got wet in the baptistry. Nobody ever said a word to me about the seriousness of sin, the wrath of God, the necessity for repentance, not a word. It was years later that I realized that you don't go to heaven by joining a church. You don't go to heaven by being a Baptist. You don't go to heaven by being a Catholic or Presbyterian or Methodist or whatever you might be. You don't, that won't get you two foot off the ground when Jesus comes. That's not it. But here's what I think we've done. And I'm just going to be very honest with you. I think what we've done is in our modern feel-good religion, in our modern user-friendly churches, we have skipped over the seriousness of sin and the wrath of God that comes because of the seriousness of sin. And we've, and we've skipped over. We've jumped that to get people to grace. And all you've got to do is read this little booklet and pray this little prayer and you're going to be okay. Not a word about the seriousness of sin that has separated us from God. A holy God. A perfect God. And we are rotten, raunchy, wicked, filthy sinners. And that sin has separated us from a holy God. And because that, that, that serious sin has separated us from a holy God, the wrath of God is necessary. Folks, do you understand? Please, do you understand why, why, why Calvary had to happen? It was because the holiness of God had to be vindicated. And the same wrath, when Jesus said, Father, why have you forsaken me? The same wrath of God that turned the back of the Father on the Son 
is the wrath you deserve and I deserve. But because of propitiation, He went to the cross for us and in our place. Why? Because of the seriousness of sin and the necessity of wrath to appease the holiness of God. But oh, thank God for the cross. Because that's where the wrath went. And that's why I settled out of court. I deserved the wrath. But Jesus became like the serpent in the wilderness and took my place on that cross. Some things never change. And the seriousness of sin and the lostness of humanity never changes. Number seven, and this is the most important. Salvation through Jesus Christ will never change. The gospel is exclusive. Now hear me carefully. There is no plan B. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And the Lord Jesus and the Word of God Hear me carefully. The Lord Jesus and the Word of God gives us the three things that are absolutely essential that never change, never have and never will. The three things that will never change that you must do to come to God. One is faith. We know that, don't we? We believe that Jesus Christ is who He said He was, God in the flesh. We believe He'll do what He said He would do. Enter your heart and forgive your sin. Faith. But number two, and here's where we miss it, and thousands have come into our churches, come down the aisle, sit on the front row, fill out the card. Thousands and thousands and thousands have come down, got wet in the baptistry, and they missed this. It's repentance. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll perish. Paul said, you're saved by repentance toward God and faith, toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter said, he's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John the baptizer said that, that repentance was essential to know God. So we better know what it is. Repentance is when you're walking down the road of life this way and God puts his finger on your sin and the seriousness of it. And you change your mind, you change your heart, you change your conduct, you change your conversation, and you turn around and walk this way. It's a total change. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. You've become a new creation in Jesus Christ. Faith. Repentance. Now, if Jesus was right, and Paul was right, and Peter was right, and John the baptizer was right, then, and they were, by the way, then no repentance, no salvation. Can you say that with me? No repentance, no salvation. The third thing is confession. He said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. Those three things have not changed, will not change. On the way to heaven is faith, repentance, confession. All of them included. None of them have changed. 
church may have become modern, but the Bible still is the same. And the truth is the same. Buy the truth and do not sell it. So I want to ask you today to bow your heads with me, please. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. doesn't matter what I think or what I say, but it does matter what the Bible says. What the Bible says. Because the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God, does not change. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, with quietness and silence, no music, no talking, nothing that could distract anyone from doing the will of God. Can you look back to a time and a place? Now, folks, be honest with God today. Can you look back to a time and a place where you turned away from sin, penance, and a faith commitment to Christ? And you can say, preacher, because of that time and that place when I met God, because of that time when there was faith and repentance and confession, I know that I know that I know that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I know that. But preacher, some of you may have to say, I, I, I don't know of such a time and a place. But today can be that time and that place. Right now, right here, you can settle that issue with God once and for all. I'm not asking about your religious affiliation, your denomination, your church membership. I'm asking, is there a time and a place where there was faith and repentance and confession? May this be such a time and place. So how can, how can that happen, preacher? I want you to pray this simple prayer in your heart. It goes like this. You don't have to pray it out loud. God hears your heart. Dear Lord, just pray it in your heart. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I now turn away from my sin. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Forgive my sin. Save my soul. I give you my life.